business ownership, being your own boss and living the American dream. But wait a minute. You've been turned down by all the banks. Your credit cards are totally maxed out. And all your friends and family are sort of turning away from you because they think you want to borrow money to get this thing going. So what's the next step to finding funding for your new business? You're listening to Imagine Publicity on air, and I'm your host, Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com. My guest today is Kedma Oath, who is the author of Target Funding, a proven system to get the money and resources you need to start or grow your business. Kedma, I'm so happy to be talking with you today. You know, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became the small business superhero? Yes, well, first of all, thank you so much, and thank you for just hosting me. I'm super excited to be a part of this. So, you know, my journey really began in one of the lowest moments of my life. And often what I tell entrepreneurs when they are, they are in their lowest moment. And if you've ever been an entrepreneur, you know what I'm talking about, where you have no place to turn. You're not sure how to move forward. I often say, this is the moment you will share on stage. Because every successful entrepreneur has gone through it. And my journey brought me back many years ago to Tucson, Arizona, where I found myself sitting on a curb. It was late in the evening. It had just started to drizzle. And I was sobbing my eyes out. I had nobody there but myself because I had just filed bankruptcy five minutes prior. And even to this day, it's been about 18 years, it still feels raw. Because I remember how sad I felt. And I remember picking up my purse, going back to my apartment, and I literally didn't know what to do next. It was like a fog hit me. And about two weeks later, I received, honestly, this this envelope from Capital One Credit Card. And I remember looking at the envelope thinking, why would they be sending me a credit card since I just filed bankruptcy? And I opened it up, and it was for a $200 credit card. Now, I want to pause and share that for some people listening to this, this may not be a big deal. But for me, what happened at that moment is I had a flashback. And when I was a little girl, I would play over and over and over this game called Monopoly. And when you go around the board, when you're playing Monopoly, you always get the chance to win $200. And I knew at that moment that the universe just brought me back into the funding game. And that began my journey on a 15-year obsession to uncover every fund and every resource because I wanted to win the funding game. And the reason I'm dubbed the small business superhero is I've worked with literally, literally 10,000 entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, Native American, minority women, people with disabilities, inventors, And I have been advocating for them for the last 20 years. That's amazing. And, you know, what is your definition of an entrepreneur in in today's world? Someone mad enough (laughs) to want to take their dreams and make it happen. I mean, truly the definition from, from the Small Business Administration, if you think about small business, is, 
a company, an, a company that has 500 employees or less. Now, some people listening think, well, I only, it's only me. I'm a solopreneur. But from a funding perspective, I want you to remember that number, especially if you're looking at lenders, because their definition of small business is the same as the SBA. But to me, an entrepreneur, it's a dreamer. It's someone who has passion. It's someone who wants to bring their identity through a product or a service and make a difference. And they've communicated to the world that whatever they're offering, they can do in a better way or a faster way or a cheaper way or in a way that's unique. And so they're setting up their identity through, you know, the method of business. Well, in today's economic climate, or even in the past 15 years or 18 years that you've been working on this, Mm -hmm. what does it take to start a a small business? How difficult is it to Mm. really start it up and, and become that entrepreneur and live your dream? Right. To start it is not difficult. You can literally make a statement tomorrow, I'm in business. To make money is very difficult. To execute and develop process is very difficult. So I always tell my entrepreneurs, you begin with the imagination first. But before you launch, you do your homework. You build your team. You research who the influencers are. You you surround yourself with them. And you begin to develop some sort of plan on what it's going to take to move forward because being successful as an entrepreneur is a lot harder than what we know until we become that entrepreneur. What type of businesses are you seeing that that a lot of people are going into? Um, Is there a lot of like mom and pop stores or businesses, service businesses? Uh, I would imagine Mm -hmm. there's a lot of digitally uh, digital businesses out there that are starting up and how, how well is everything Mm -hmm. doing? Yeah, that's a great question. So I study trends as a a live for a living because I believe that if we study trends, two things can happen. Number one, we can see where the next innovative um, ideas are coming from and, you know, maybe new industries are coming from. And two, we can study trends to potentially prevent companies from going out of business. So some of the trends we're seeing, you nailed it. Uh, obviously, anything that is online is very hot right now. Um, people more and more are going to the Internet for almost everything. So social media, if you're someone who loves writing, you know, there's a lot there for becoming a blogger, imagine managing someone's social media campaign um, or writing. You know, there's so much content that needs to be developed and people are looking for that. Virtual assistants, you know, Gone are the days for um, typical secretaries or receptionists that just sit in the office. Of course, mid-sized and big businesses still do that, but a lot of small businesses have moved to virtual assistants where they have the entire company online and someone who's 
reviewing their emails, doing their data mining, um, answering their phones, all of that has been outsourced. And all of that means someone listening right now could be on that other side making money as an entrepreneur. We're also seeing things in the cyber world. We are under attack and we don't know it. I always tell my clients, you have either been hacked or you don't know you've been hacked. And I used to run our cybersecurity initiative for 19 centers uh, before I launched into my new career. Uh, so that's very, very hot. You mentioned mom and pop stores. Unfortunately, the sad part is you're seeing more and more retail chains going out of business. You know, you're looking at big box stores that are closing hundreds and hundreds of stores. The ones that may be doing okay are the very, very uh, small mom and pop uh, shops that are very unique and specialized. And we are seeing a trend back into, uh, believe it or not, bookstores where people still want to feel a book. I'm one of those people. I come from a generation. I don't download the audibles. I actually order the book or I go to the, to the bookstore and I get it because I like the feel that I, the feeling that I get when I'm reading the book. So those, just, those are just a few trends that I'm seeing as I work with everyday entrepreneurs. Would you also see that there is a return to supporting community and local businesses, whether it be restaurants or, or bookstores or coffee shops or whatever type, even, you know, the local dry cleaner? Um, mm-hmm. I, I know I'm one that I'm, I'm very mindful of that. I know what it's like to run a business and especially a service business. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very yeah. mindful to try and buy local as much as I can and, and to support the locally owned restaurants rather than the big chains, although I do that too. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> do, you, do you see that uh, loyalty factor in, in today's world? So what I want to say is the loyalty factor has always been there. It has always been there. There has always been a community commitment. However, it's more prevalent now because you're seeing it being posted. You're seeing people express their thoughts on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, So as a result of that, there is more awareness. I think there is maybe um, a a hyper awareness because, you know, I love Amazon, you know, and I am obviously a purchaser. I purchase on Amazon. However, you know, Amazon has – you know, been involved in putting a lot of local business out of business. And some companies that I've worked with said, you know, I can't compete with the Amazons of the world. And so there has been this, you know, I call them the sort of the the soldiers in the community that really guard and try to protect our community from going out of business. I will tell you, honestly, I'm in a beautiful part of the country I'm in Portland, Oregon, but I'm also in a part called Selwood. If you ever come to Selwood, it's a gorgeous community with antique stores and little quaint restaurants. Well, you know, this brings me to tears that, you know, three of our restaurants went out of business in the last 24 months. And they just couldn't compete with, you know, either online or fast food or people leaving the community. And so we're making an effort as a community just in Selwood 
to spend our dollars, whether it's the toy store, whether it's the tea house, whether it's the Asian restaurant, because frankly, I don't want to wake up five years from now and live in a ghost town where the only place I can get any of my services is online. I have to totally agree with you. And I live in a little enclave like that myself where everything is very accessible and I think, you know, as we're building communities, what I'm seeing is a return to the small town feel within a big city. And within that little enclave of, of businesses, you have all of those services that are, are so meaningful to your life. So, you know, yes, I'm, I'm an Amazon shopper as well, maybe a little too much. But it kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of back in the day when Walmart came in and took over, you know, city by mm-hmm. city. And so many small retailers just couldn't hack it anymore. And Walmart sort of took over. And now Amazon is is kind of right in yeah. there playing in that in that same sandbox well right. how do you feel exactly. about you know i i look at a lot of younger people coming up in and a lot of the the entrepreneur things that they're doing and especially online um you know you mm-hmm. see people out there making it look so glamorous because you know when you have an online business you can work from anywhere so i'm over <laughs> here by the pool and or at the beach or whatever and i do that myself but what about um vocational education you know are we emphasizing yeah. enough to teach young people how to service your car or how to become a dry cleaner or, you know, these types of of services that we expect, but yet we put so much more emphasis on a four-year college degree and a doctorate. Yeah. What a great question. You know, and I was just having this conversation with my son. He's, He's 14. He's on the autism spectrum. And he actually is in high school now trying to do career development. And he came to me and he said, Mom, I've decided I'm narrowing it down to two careers. I said, well, which ones? Computer programming or being an electrician. I said, well, you know, which one are you bearing? He goes, well, computer programming has shown that it pays more, pays about $20,000 more. However, it's showing that there's going to be about a 14% decrease because so many people are going into that. But mom, even though the electrician is 20% less, we're seeing a huge increase in that industry. And so what we are noticing is two things. One is the older generation um, who have been in these Uh, type of careers, they're retiring, and we're going to see a shortage. And we need those. Those are things we can't outsource to Amazon. You know, I I want to have my local electrician coming when I need it, when the lights go out, or my plumber, or, or the window cleaner. And actually, that's the role I play in my career now. I'm part of a company called AGS, Automate, Grow, Sell, and Conquer. And every single day, we help hundreds of businesses in these industries grow. We don't want them to go away. And so I think we're seeing a trend and a shift in the high school and in the middle school and in, even in the elementary schools to show them that these careers are still something that they should go after, that they should be proud of. 
and that they're meaningful and necessary in our community. I, I totally agree. And so what do you think about manufacturing? What What's going on in the manufacturing world? I know we've outsourced so much of, of of our business to foreign countries, but is, do you think, yeah. do you see that there may be a trend to bring some of it back? You know, it's interesting because if you watch politics, I know that that is a big part. And I know that, you know, the president has really made it clear that as much as possible, American jobs um, and making sure that uh, the wages match and that there's opportunity and, I know that there are incentives um, and subsidies and tax uh, deferrals that are supporting that. You know, the reality is we're in a global environment, and I think that the more we're aware of that, the more we have to realize that uh, even though we want to keep jobs here, there's going to be elements that may require, um, you know, the inclusion of other manufacturing plants in other countries. Having said that, you know, I absolutely think it's uh, a critical time. Um, I love the idea of keeping things here. I am going to probably um, suggest for anybody listening here that um, as a result of wages and um, staying strategic and competitive analysis, we're going to see more automation. It's already happening. And that's been the biggest concern is how do we marry automation and efficiency without removing, you know, an entire group of employees and essentially laying them off. So there's going to be a lot of thought behind supply chain and in um, the use of intelligence, the use of internet. Uh, but I, I do believe that, you know, there is going to be a commitment, a continued commitment to keeping manufacturing as much as possible in the U.S. Well, we've kind of covered the basis as far as all the different types of businesses. Uh, <laughs> let, let's get down into the book. Uh, Target funding, a proven system to get the money and resources you need to start or grow your business. Can you just give us an overview about what this book is about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is in the simplest term, it is a proven system on how to actually find money and resources that you need. And we use a very targeted approach. Now, most of your readers, if they are entrepreneurs or they have had some kind of business class, understand the term target marketing. So when I share with you that term, target marketing, what are the first words that come up for you? social media and you're targeting the market that uh, you want to see your postings or your, you know, your mm -hmm. business. Exactly. So target marketing is really how do you identify those target customers? Because not everyone's going to like what you're selling or what you're promoting. So, you know, there are, I like to say that people would buy everything and anything as long as it meets their needs. If we go to just the basic fundamentals, and you're going to laugh, 
but hear me out. If we think about the purchase of toilet paper, go to the supermarket next time you buy toilet paper and you will see the variances of different types of toilet paper, which really speaks to a target audience. You know, some want soft and fluffy. Some don't care if it's one ply. Some just want the cheapest. Uh, Some want a pattern. That really speaks to that audience. And so when we designed this book, we designed a message to say, we're going to understand your variables, which is your uniqueness to the business, to what, to what you represent, and then we're going to match it to specific funding. So if you're based in South Carolina, and did you say you were in, in Myrtle Beach? What, what, um, uh, t- remind me what part of South Carolina you're in again. In Myrtle Beach, yes. That's where I am. Yeah, right. So, so you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You're a woman-owned business. Let's suppose you're in social media. That's already four variables I can work with without even asking you anything else. Those are four variables that I'm going to begin with where I'm going to start targeting. Are there any women-owned resources that I need to be aware of? That's one target. Are there any women resources just in South Carolina? Are there any specific to Myrtle Beach? So when when we developed the book, we developed it with the idea that we wanted anybody reading the book to be able to walk away and say, I can do this and I can go after funding that's specific for my needs. Well, that's fantastic. And it's such a critical resource. I mean, you can't, you can't start or run a business without some sort of funding, no matter how you go and get it. Now, when you're, when you're working with your clients, what, what kind of, I'm I'm trying to word this correctly. What kind of funding are you basically looking for? I mean, I I know it's got mm-hmm. to be specific and, and you started with a $200 monopoly money. Yes. <laughs> so so and and I basically I did the same thing. I mean, I I have that story to tell as well. But um mm. what what is kind of the average person out there that you're working with? What kind of money are we talking? Like a thousand dollars, twenty thousand, eighty thousand? What's it look like? Yeah. It's so varied. So it depends on the stage of their business and whether they are developing a product or a service. So let's talk about inventors. You may have someone listening right now that has a dream. They want to to invent something, but it's very costly. When you think about the, and I come from the inventor world, so I am a a board member for the United Inventors Association. It is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we help every inventor club around the country. So if you are an inventor, you want to definitely check it out because it's absolutely free to be part of the association. But if you were an inventor and you came to me, the first thing I would say is, have you done a patent search? Um, and you say, no, I haven't. Okay, well, that's one service we need to figure out. Um, have you filed a patent? No, we haven't. Well, we have to figure that out because typically a patent in the U.S., you know, the ones that I've seen that have unfortunately or fortunately worked before they started working with me, they've pay- paid on an average about $10,000 for a utility patent. That's very costly 
for someone who may not have that in their bank account or they don't have a 401k or they don't have a house that they could, you know, get equity from. And then they have to look at product development, right? And then they have to look at uh, maybe, you know, testing that. And that's all before they even market. So you can see how quickly that can happen. So with those kind of clients, we're first looking at can we get the cheapest, most cost-effective patent search. And I can tell you in my book, we have a great resource I've been using for a decade. Uh, typically, a patent search can run you anywhere between 1500 to 3000 The organization that we use, they do the entire review. They look at your patent uh, search. Uh, that includes patent pending, patent expired, and patents issued. And then they send it to a patent attorney who will do what we call a patentability opinion that will review the information and determine whether to move forward or not. That entire cost for the client is $250. And they'll know in 10 days whether to move forward or not. So sometimes when we're thinking about target funding, we have to think about if you were going to pay $3,000, but I found you something for $250, the difference between the $250 and $3,000 is your grant. That's your grant. And me, many people don't realize that. Now, if we're dealing with an entrepreneur already in business, again, it depends. Um, you mentioned $1,000 or $80,000 or $100,000. There are some clients where we're going after um, $100,000 to $150,000 in the form of a grant. There's a program called SBIR. We have it in the book. I, I know a lot about it. I, I actually brought the SBIR program to our state back in 2012 uh, when our state was sleeping. Uh, but that program is 100000 in the form of a grant um, for our first phase. And the second phase is upwards of a million dollars, a million dollars of non-dilutive funds where you can receive this based on innovation. Um, and then we have everything in the middle. So sometimes people are saying, I need money for software. I need money for social media. I need money to hire my first employee. I need money to um, expand my business. So it really depends on that entrepreneur, what stage they're in, and specifically what they need. And from there, we actually target the funds. Can you expand a little bit on grants? Um, uh, how do you get a grant? How is it managed? How do you pay it back? Um, mm -hmm. I would like to know a little bit more about grants. Love it. So most grants have been associated with nonprofit organizations, meaning that the organization is classified by the government as what we call a 501c3. And so there are hundreds and hundreds of books that gear on how to find a grant if you're a nonprofit. However, the reason McGraw-Hill chose me, one of the reasons chose me as first-time author to have this book published is because I go after grants for for-profit organizations, which is very rare. And so when we think about grants, a grant is truly a certain amount of money or resources, which could be hidden. It could be a subsidy. It could be a tax credit. It could be a cash award. It could be a resource award valued at a significant amount of money. But it's the idea of receiving that without 
in most cases, 99% of the time, without having to repay it back. So I'll give you a few examples. A couple of years ago, there was a, a program that came out uh, in uh, Portland for uh, $25,000 a year in the form of a grant, cash award. But whoever received that money could have a chance to reapply and get $25,000 every year for five years. So that's no longer $25,000. That's $125,000 broken down in five years. Now, let me share with you what the variables were. You had to be an entrepreneur, working entrepreneur, in Multnomah County. So if you were an entrepreneur in Multnomah County, that was one of your criteria. Second criteria, it had to be money used for working capital, meaning that you were expanding or you were growing. Okay, so someone listening to this right now, Multnomah County, may say, well, I have that. That's good. I can do that. But now I'm going to tell you the third and fourth criteria. The third criteria, you had to be considered a minority, preferably African-American, in order to get this fund. So now you can see how quickly it narrows. And then the fourth criteria, you had to be in the cannabis industry. So if you did not meet those four criteria, you were not getting the grant. If you met those four criteria, you could apply for the grant, and then you had a chance to get it. The second type is um, example is what we call a forgivable loan. You would never know this unless I shared this with you because who in their right mind would go on to Google right now and think that there's even a forgivable loan? And who would even assume that a forgivable loan is a grant? But that's exactly what it is. A forgivable loan is written like a loan. It's actually a loan. You receive a contract. However, if you commit to completing the requirements of that loan, the loan is forgiven. I'll give you a quick example. When my kids were very young, I have a 14-year-old, I have an 11-year-old, and I have a 9-year-old. That means to anybody listening right now, that's an expensive household. It was costing me almost $2,000 a month at the time to get them in the right daycare. I literally couldn't afford it. So I decided to start my own daycare. That's what crazy entrepreneurs do. If they can't afford something, they solve it. So I started my own daycare. And as part of starting that, I had to hire daycare workers to meet the ratio that is required by our city. I found a forgivable loan. The forgivable loan said that I had to hire five employees. I had to hire them anyway. However, if I hired those five employees and I kept them for six months and I showed payroll receipts, I would be given a forgivable loan of $25,000. And that's exactly what happened. I hired the employees that I was going to hire anyway, and I sent the payroll after six months, and the loan was forgiven, and I used the $25,000 to expand my daycare. That's a fantastic story. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, not just for you personally, but for anyone else out there who's even considering it and, and you know, needs it like most entrepreneurs do. And I, I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of other things and examples in, in your book, such as what we've just talked about that, um, 
you know, you don't want to give away the store, but can you just briefly touch on a few? Oh yeah. I mean, I have so many. Um, so one of them is, um, an amazing woman, Helen Anderson. She's actually former Mrs. Um, Oregon. So if you ever look her up, uh, Mrs. Oregon, I met Helen many, many years ago. And actually she's an inventor that developed a, um, a product uh, around uh, nursing and breastfeeding because at the time she was nursing, she had a really hard time collecting milk. And so she's a nurse. And so she, along with her partner uh, at the time, developed this very unique product for moms. And, you know, the interesting thing about that industry is they were competing against a humongous competitor, which were the breast pumps. And, you know, here is this product. It doesn't have any machine. It's close to the mom. um, And it keeps, you know, the mom you know, connected to the baby, but to try to compete was extremely difficult. And so when I actually met Helen, I met her because she tapped into a program that, again, most people don't even know about. And what I'm about to tell you, you think, well, how is that a a program that helps? But hear me out. She tapped into a program that was a retention program designed by the state where the state would pay a, an expert a consultant to come in and save the business. She was in a point with her business where they were trying to figure out whether they were going to close the company. And yes, there are programs out there. So if you are a struggling entrepreneur and it's, you know, you're, you're teetering, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, believe it or not, there are state programs out there that say, we're going to come in, we're going to bring in, the superheroes to try to turn the business around because we don't want you to lose jobs. And so she got into this program. And as a result of this program, they were able to turn their business around and eventually sold the company to a huge company and she stayed on. So she is still on as the chief lactation officer for this company. Um, But that all came from a program, a grant program that focuses on turning businesses around. I have another one which I love. I'm a huge uh, advocator for um, people who are just teetering. You know, maybe they're a first-generation entrepreneur. They've never been in their own business, and they don't come from a wealthy family. You know, they, they come from a family that is considered low income. And I help this amazing individual in my book tap into something called the IDA program. So if you're going to hear anything from this, this, this interview, please stop what you're doing and listen to this. This is so important. The IDA program stands for Individual Development Account. It was designed by the government as a hand up, not a handout. The reason it was designed was many, many years ago, the government went out and started interviewing everyday Americans. And they would ask Americans how they were doing financially. And the average American would respond like this. I am broke. So the interviewer would say, oh, you know what? Times are tough right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back, you know, maybe in about a year. I'm going to check how you're doing. Well, they'd come back a year later. They would interview the same person. They'd ask the same question. And the person would say the same thing. I'm broke. Well, they did that two more times. And then they realized there's something broken with the system. 
because someone can't be broke their entire life. And so they created this incredible program, IDA, called, and it was, it's a hand up, not a hand out. So here's how it works. If you qualify into the program, it's based on your household income. So if you qualify into the program, you get a chance to save money. And every time you save money, the government will match you. Sometimes they'll match you two to one, sometimes three to one, sometimes five to one, and sometimes eight to one. So in this book, I have a situation where a client was starting out and really did not have the means to get any bank loan, any line of credit. And so as a result of going through the IDA program, he was able to save $3,000. And the IDA program matched him $9,000. And he received $12,000 to start his business. He got his money back and he got the match. Now, some people listening here said, what's the big deal? What's $12,000? Go back and look at Fortune 500 companies and go back and see how they first started. Most of them started with $10,000 or less. So those are some examples. And those are incredible examples. They really are. And so as we're, as we're kind of winding down, what is your best piece of advice for someone who is just beginning a new business or launching a new product or writing a new book? Oh, my gosh. I have so much if you're writing a new book. <laughs> um, first thing I would say is definitely go on and download our podcast, TargetFunding.com. Every week we spend 45 minutes. Uh, myself, Dave Strayer, who's an engineer, and Carmine, who's a product developer, every, every week we spend 45 minutes sharing resources and ideas so you can really gain some knowledge. So that would be the first thing I would say. The second thing is, you know, I always tell my clients, if I went on a journey 18 years ago to uncover every fund and every resource for you, and 18 years ago, I said to you, I was going to charge you $2 a year, $2 a year to work on your behalf. And 18 years later, I would come back and give you everything I know and collect that money. That would be $36. Would you bet on me? And every single, every single person I've met, every person in an audience that I've spoken says, of course I would bet on you. Then buy the book which is less than $36 because I literally give hundreds of resources there because I am on a mission. I want people to win. And so those would be the two things. And then the third thing is reach out to me, reach out to me on LinkedIn, reach out to me on my website because I'm on the other side. And now my journey is to just help people come on the other side and not struggle anymore. That's fantastic. So let's tell everyone where they can buy Target Funding. So it's on Amazon. Um, easiest thing is to just go on to Amazon.com, TargetFunding.com. Uh, you can see it there. Uh, we have the book version. We have the audio, audio version. But I'll be honest. I will tell you to get the book because people who buy the audio love, love to hear my voice because I am the author uh, and I also do the voice. However, they're driving to work or they're driving to their business and they're listening to all these resources and they literally have to 
park their car to write it all down. So then they get frustrated and get the book. <laughs> so I want you to know there are so many resources that it's probably better for you to have the book physically so you can spend time going through and pulling out different resources that would apply to you. And can you get the book through your website? You can get it through my website, so targetfunding.com, kedmao.com, and um, I do want to sort of give an extra surprise to your audience. I have not released this. Nobody knows this. But I am going into studio this week because I am launching the Target Funding Educational model. It's going to be an entire e-learning with videos. I am going to be releasing all my resources in a database. So grant application examples, um, how to talk to funders. Um, I'm going to be giving all that as part of our new program. And if your members um, let me know that they have connected through your um, podcast, or they just send me an email and the code word is podcast, um, they're going to get a significant discount to um, our launch. So I do want to make sure I share that with your audience. Well, that is exciting, everybody, listening <laughs> up here. I mean, that's great. So tell her that you heard it on Imagine Publicity on air and get that discount because that – that's an exciting venture. I think any time that we can yes. put the, what you know, what your experiences are, and put it into an educational model for everyone, um, you know, that's that's Absolutely. kind of the way we keep the world going around these days. Well, yes. I, and I we just will can't. have. Oh, okay, I would. Okay, sorry. No, go ahead. Not a, not a problem. Go I ahead. just want. I just wanted to share that the um, the addition to our model is we we are right now interviewing grant writers that will be on call helping clients actually apply for funds. So we're want, making it as simple as possible because I have won many, many grants, and I don't want people to get frustrated. I want people to read, to absorb, to follow, and to win. That's beautiful. It truly is. So what what are your final thoughts? Your final thoughts out there to wrap it all up in, in a nice little package. What do you want our people to know? Well, I wanna I wanna speak to your uh, podcast. I mean, I love the imagine part. So I want readers to know this. I want listeners to know this. Life is hard. Being an entrepreneur is hard. You're going to have a lot of doubters who you talk to. You're going to have a lot of haters if you're successful. You're going to have a lot of people who try to push you in a direction you don't need to go. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Listen to the people who have made it, that are doing it, and that care and want to serve. Because there are a lot of dreams right now in the cemetery because someone listened to someone that they didn't need to. So if you're on the fence, I want you to know I haven't met you yet, but I believe in you. I love it. I love it. 
And, you know, I, I, I can speak from experience with Imagine Publicity. It's a, it's a growth process. And everybody said, no, you can't do that. But, yeah, yeah, you really can. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I've got to say thank you so much for taking your time with me today. This mm-hmm. has been a great conversation, and 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 I'm going to get my copy of that book pretty <laughs> quick because I I know there's a lot of great lessons in there for me to learn as well. So as I close out Thank every you. every podcast, I I just want listeners to know, and and as Kedma even said, it's a rough world out there. Whether it's business, mm-hmm. whether it's personal, whether it's relationships, no matter what, it's it, life is not easy, but The one thing I'd like you all to remember as you go out there in the world, be kind to each other. 